My name is Hemish Alangaratne, and I'm the founder of RX Group and the host of Let's Talk Quality. Let's Talk Quality is a podcast aimed at quality assurance professionals in pharma and biotech. Join us to learn from some of the best QA leaders around the world and hear how they've developed their careers as they provide some practical insights into how they've got to the top of their field. Our mission is to shine a light on what good quality assurance really means for pharma and biotech. What impact does it really have on the patient? We want to explore some of the biggest challenges facing the sector and inspire the next generation of quality assurance leaders to continue to help bring safer and better quality therapies to patients. Welcome to season one. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Peggy. How are you? Very well, Hamash. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, let's get straight into it, Peggy. Um, could you give the listeners a high-level overview of who you are now, who you are, and what your role is now? Sure. So I am currently the site head of quality for Kinsel Bio. We are a cell therapy CDMO early phase CDMO, and we are located in Gainesville, Florida. Excellent. And what's your earliest memory of science? Why did you get into science? So I think my earliest memory of science is um, in elementary school, doing experiments in elementary uh, classes um, with, you know, not really strong chemicals, but identifying chemical reactions and kind of how they occur and then what results as of those reactions. Um, and then later on from there, biology, um, you know, uh, performing experiments and, and uh, having really great teachers in those areas, which got me excited. And then further on from there, my first job in high school was working at a hospital, which kind of got me into the medical kind of realm and the clinical realm. Um, so I really enjoyed working with patients, meeting patients, serving patients. And I think that kind of springboarded me into working in a clinical laboratory as my first job. Right. Okay. And then how did you get into the world of quality? So um, like some of your other guests, I was working in a clinical lab setting in a hospital doing toxicology analysis and uh, had worked there for several years and then kept hearing about pharmaceuticals and progress made in pharmaceuticals and said, you know, I'd like to kind of try that. So I transitioned to, to a role working for a CDMO for over-the-counter drug products and learned all about many different types of assays, many types of instrumentation, uh, raw material analysis, finished product analysis. And we worked on many different types of products. Um, I really enjoyed that. Uh, learned a lot about compliance and quality because we were performing QC on all these products. And so... I wanted to even get more regulated so that I moved into um, APIs uh, and continued working in the laboratory. From there, I moved into biotech, once again, still in the laboratory, and then a stint in micro for about a year and a half at a large biotech company, um, Abbott Bio Research in Worcester, Mass. Nice. And uh, while I was at Abbott, I worked on a very large investigation involving the water system. All right and worked very closely with some of the quality individuals 
And they recruited me into quality after we completed the investigation. They said, you know, we think you'd be good at QA. And I said, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I, uh, I've been in quality ever since. Okay. So now you're overseeing quality at, at Kinsella, CDMO, in the cell and gene therapy, particularly early, early phase space. Correct. Um, what do you think the biggest challenges are of of overseeing a quality function in in cell and gene therapy and then i suppose with a also with a particular focus on the cdmo world mhm mm so i think the biggest challenge is right sizing your systems for the types of products you're going to be manufacturing and the phase of where they are in their clinical life cycle so for instance early phase cell and gene therapy for example um the guidelines you know are very flexible so for example your assays need to be uh reproducible mm. but maybe not fully validated because yeah. these are investigational products that are going to go through several changes along the way yeah and also your assays may need to change along the way so uh right sizing your systems to support that type of manufacturing and those types of products. We're focused right now currently on autologous. Okay. And so understanding what types of products you're gonna be manufacturing and then right sizing your systems as you go along. So if you're gonna be bringing in another type of product, maybe you need to reevaluate that and make mm. changes. So there's constant flux and constant changes then, particularly in the CDMO world, if right. you're constantly having to right size or make sure you're thinking about how phase appropriate your systems are. Right. I guess the yeah. other point I would make is that you don't want to over-engineer things if yeah. it's not needed. Yeah. Um, you need to make sure you have a really strong risk management process, yeah. risk assessment process. Yeah. Um, and as you're tech transferring products in, you really understand what are the CQAs that are very important that you need to be focused on. What is, um, you know, and focusing on those building from there. Yeah. Okay. And so in the, in the, particularly in the early phase um, world where I guess processes are constantly evolving and um, not as well defined, a lot of people describe it as operating in the gray area. Um, mm -hmm. So what, I suppose, how do you go about developing a team um, that mm -hmm. can feel comfortable and um, understand and be able to adapt to, um, I guess, the changes that happen along the way? Mm -hmm. So first of all and foremost, they need, to, they need to really understand the manufacturing process that you're going to be performing. So for example, we had a vendor here yesterday uh, training staff on a piece of equipment that is going to be used in manufacturing. My quality people are required to go to that training. So they're yeah. getting the same exact training the manufacturing staff are getting. They'll understand what the equipment's used for. They'll be able to, as they're getting trained, think about what kind of risks there are using that equipment. How are samples going to be taken off that equipment? Um, so I'm a very firm believer in that, understanding the manufacturing process from the beginning to the end and understanding all the analytical assays that are going to be performed on that product and, and how those assays impact the product. So when you have something that, say, is out of spec, 
what kind of impact is that? Is it is it a is it a big impact on the product, or is it something you can risk assess, and maybe go ahead and release that product along with approval from the IND holder, the you know the client, the customer, and things like that. So really, it's knowledge, um, making sure people understand the supply chain process, making sure people understand the process development that developed that product. Um, so partnering and collaborating and having quality be involved in a lot of these trainings, discussions, um, meeting with the customers, you know, yeah. having them yeah. have that interaction, having the counterparts that they need yeah. to get a full understanding of what we're going to be doing here on site. And would you spend a lot of time on the manufacturing floor with your colleagues in, in manufacturing and, and encourage your team to do that? Yes. So I'm a firm believer in an on-the-floor quality program. So people on the floor working with manufacturing as issues arise, so that issues can be addressed very quickly, promptly, uh, escalating when needed as quickly um, as you can, getting the right people in the room to discuss the issue, whether it's your subject matter expert from process development, from quality control, from analytical um to make sure that everyone is hearing all the information. Also, how are we going to document all of this? How are you going to document the event and describe exactly what happened, what we did yeah. about it immediately, what we're going to do about it in the future? Uh, very, very important so that you can go back and look upon these things and understand what happened. Yeah, understood. Okay. We'll, we'll, um, we'll, We'll um, get on to the topic or the subject of getting the right people in the room in, in, in a bit. But um, I've heard you mention before, um, anticipate, plan, prepare um, mm -hmm. is, is a kind of a key philosophy and mindset that you use and, and try to implement within your team. Are you, can, you, can you break that down for us, what it, what it means and, and how, you, how you implement that? Yes, I first uh, heard this when I worked in Seattle. I worked at the Fred Hutch for many, many years, and uh, we brought in a consulting group to help us improve a lot of our processes and bring in some new systems. And they actually had this as one of their tenants, and it's always stuck with me. I'm a planner by nature. I plan my whole life. <laughs> um, and so, for instance, uh, when you're in a startup mode and you're bringing in a new customer or a new process, anticipating all of the things that can go wrong, whether it's receipt of the product and it comes in mislabeled or for, you know, you have an OS occur or um, the product comes in and the viability is very low. All of these things are things you can anticipate and say, how are we going to handle this when this occurs? What measures can we take? What processes can we write? Um, so that when we are faced with this, we have a plan. Walking down new processes, you know, qualifying procedures well in advance, having a process map to develop these procedures is very, very important at the very beginning so that you can get everybody in the room, all the teams that are involved in that process, build that process map. Is this going to work? What are all the things we need to think about? And then take that process map and write your procedure and then go in to the onto the floor 
and actually perform the procedure before you've even made it effective because you always find things you didn't think of. And people have great input from yeah. all the other departments. Um, so, and then prepare. So anticipate, um, plan, and then prepare. So once you've walked it down, you know it's going to work. Um, how long is it going to take to implement it? So building that plan. Um, we have a, a really large uh, upfitting project going on right now at our site, and we have a very defined project plan all the way down to all the documents we're going to need, um, all the equipment that's going to need to be qualified, the facility qualification. You know, it's a really large effort. And so um, having that plan clearly defined who owns what um, and making sure you're meeting regularly to go over it and make sure things haven't slipped. And if they have, how are we going to bring them back in and yeah. things of that nature? Yeah, it's interesting because you're, you're often anticipating things going wrong mm -hmm. so for, for people that come into your team how do you mm -hmm. how do you develop people to feel comfortable operating in the gray and, and right, making well. informed decisions when um, things may go wrong right um, I think it's about knowledge so coming in developing a development plan for those folks what is their previous experience so going through with them, what, what have you done in the past? Now, obviously, you've heard some of that through hiring them, but really digging in and understanding what their current knowledge base is in all the various areas um, in the manufacturing and the release and from the raw materials you're going to use to, to all of that, making sure that you build a development plan and get them experience in all those different areas? Um, is it classroom training that you need to give them? Can you partner them and have them shadow, you know, one of the other departments for a while to yeah. have them gain that knowledge? Um, so really building a good development plan for them yeah. and then following up on that development plan, yeah. seeing how it's going. Is there something we need to adjust, be flexible with it? Um, and then hearing from them, you know, what kind of concerns do they have? Where do they think they need to build their experience level? Yeah. Do they already know some of that in advance? Yeah. Um, but really, really just having a really good communication plan, development plan, follow-up plan uh, to make sure that they have all the tools they need. Excellent. And you mentioned getting the right people in the room and, and hiring the right people. And a, and a lot of this you'll assess at interview stage. And then when you get to know them, people, the, the people that, um, you also need to make sure you're, you're hiring people that can react well in those situations. So how do you go about getting the right people in the room? Uh, so that starts with your leadership structure. Uh, we have a tier leadership structure here where we have, managers all get together and collaborate every day in the morning. We call them huddles. Uh, it's kind of a lean process. Um, they talk about what's going on day to day. And then the next level up is a tier three, which is our site leadership team. So that's the heads of all the various areas meet three times a week, more as needed, but three times a week for sure. And we have um, a clear structure that we go through to talk about projects that we have ongoing. We escalate things from the tier two, get escalated to the tier three if they need guidance 
from that earlier meeting in the morning. And then we talk about uh, goals, uh, everything that's going on at the site at that senior leadership team meeting. And then we have an ELT, an executive leadership team that meets once a week, which I'm also a member of. And we talk about corporate goals, partnerships we're working on, uh, how how the site's doing, and we report up there to our CEO. So it's a very structured, uh, collaborative, and a great communication tool um, to make sure that information is both going up, back and forth. Excellent. Okay. So, and I suppose, are there any, are there any examples where you've had to, um, or where your team have encountered um, some significant changes mid-process, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you go about, or how did you go about guiding them and um, being able to help them adapt and continue to move forward, I suppose, without compromising quality? Right. So first of all, it's making sure your in-process testing during your manufacturing process is going to identify issues. That's key. Um I had an issue once where we were doing a cell selection on a certain uh, piece of equipment. And with the in-process testing, we identified that the instrument didn't collect the cells. They went into a waste bag. Um, So once again, you have to get who's the subject matter expert on the process, who's the subject matter expert on that piece of equipment. And, um, you know, are we, do we need to do any additional testing to confirm the result? For sure you do. And then what can we do about it? So we were able to contact the manufacturer of the equipment as well um, and have all those people in the room and talk about, could we reprocess and recollect um, to make sure that we would capture the cells we were trying to capture. Yeah. And so it was very helpful to have the manufacturer of the equipment on the phone you know, on the call with us and we were able to develop a plan to reprocess and it actually worked quite well. And then we were able to incorporate that into our procedures in case it happened again. But having the right type of analytical testing along the way to identify those things is first and foremost, because sometimes if you don't, then you're not going to identify them till the end and that's not going to be good. Um, but yes, um, being nimble, being quick, um, making sure you've established that from the beginning with your team that, you know, when issues arise, we need to get together quickly uh, and we need to escalate to the appropriate folks and yeah. uh, having those subject matter experts there to yeah. give their their expertise. Yeah. And and Peggy, can I just ask you a bit about your, I suppose, leadership style um, and, sure. and, and outlook? Like, um key part of quality is collaboration mm-hmm. key part of it is holding people accountable mm-hmm. um, what's your leadership philosophy and and how do you go about um leading your team so i'm a firm believer in not micromanaging people uh giving people the opportunity to take on projects that they're interested in so that they can highlight their skills uh building a good development plan for them, meeting with them regularly to talk about how they're doing with their goals that they've been given. Um, But really having uh, a collaborative environment 
where they can grow in their own careers and determine what is it they like to specialize in. So with quality, that's what's so great about quality. You can become someone that really wants to be focused on laboratory quality support, operational quality support, or building quality systems. Uh, you could focus on clinical quality. You might you might decide that's a path you want to go down. Um, so really trying to work with them to determine, you know, what gets them up in the morning, what do they have a passion for, and then helping get them develop a development plan where they can be successful in gaining that experience. Yeah. Um, because it is very variable and there's a lot of different opportunities. Um available in quality assurance. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those careers where nobody, I think Greg said it on the, uh, one of the last episodes, you, you, know, you never, you never decide to go into quality when you're um, growing up or when you're in college or school or whatever. It's um, something that people generally will fall into. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then I, moving on to the differences of the CDMO um, world, how does working in the the CDMO world um, of cell and gene therapy, how um, how what are the challenges, and, and I suppose how does it um, how does it compare to, to working on the other side, and um, what advice would you give to people um, that are in that space right now? So I've worked in both spaces. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges is to make sure you're writing your procedures and and keeping your systems so that multiple customers are able to operate within them. So you're gonna have a lot of different customers and a lot of different product types that you're gonna be working on. Uh, But I think key is partnering with those customers right away to form those relationships so that you can work together, making sure that when you're uh, signing customers on, that you're understanding what the communication plan is gonna be between the CDMO and the customer. How often are you going to meet? Are they gonna come on site and participate on the tech transfer process, which is very helpful. But having the understanding that we're partners and ensuring that um, it's going to be collaborative. It's not going to be, you know, the customer coming in and saying, you know, I'm the expert. Um, So trusting and respecting both the CDMO's experience and the customer's experience, because the goal is to get these products to patients. Yeah. And that's the number one goal and um, helping the customer be successful in getting an IND approved so that so that we can manufacture for them. So don't tie yourself down on your procedures to these strict requirements because um, you have to kind of right size for various types of customers, various types of manufacturing. Uh, you might have a shorter manufacturing process for some clients or a longer one for the different types of products you're gonna be making. Um, how are you gonna release these products? and review so that um, this can be done promptly because patients are waiting for these products. So establishing the processes for how much is the client going to review of the manufacturing or the QC testing. Um, 
once again, to be expeditious in your processes so you can get the products released and distributed back to the clinics so the patients can receive them. Excellent. And um, and that um, how does it how does it compare to the working on the other side? It, you know, there's a there's obviously a lot more going on. You're working with different companies. How, how does how does that side compare? Mm-hmm. So on the sponsor side, um, you know, you're really really focused on multiple things and you usually have less resource, you know, you might have less Mm -hmm. resources. I was, you know, a sole quality person at one sponsor company. Um, So use your relationship with the CDMO to actually help, right? Because as a sponsor company, there's only a certain amount of procedures you have to have in place and you can rely on the CDMO's procedures for some of their quality systems for your manufacturing and your yeah. testing. So really figuring out um, how you can appropriately use various systems and resources to support you in that smaller sponsored company. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Um, I'm going to um, move on to some of the quick fire questions. Um, sometimes they're quick fire answers, sometimes they're not, but... Um, my, my first question to you would be, um, what are you most proud of that in your career so far? That's a hard one. Um, I'm proud of a lot of things. Uh, a long time ago, uh, early in my career, I mentioned I worked at Abbott and then I also worked at Amgen. And so I worked on uh, the clinical to commercial process for both Humira and Embrel. And regulatory approval. So that's a huge accomplishment that I hope that everyone could have someday because it's really rewarding. Um, the other one was um, I made the the move into cell and gene therapy when I moved out to Seattle after working at Amgen. And um, we built a brand new facility for the cell and gene therapy manufacturing. And it was a state-of-the-art facility. It required a huge amount of work, all brand new equipment, qualifying the facility, uh, building the team, building all the systems. And it's a wonderful facility now to this day. And I left there in 2014. So really, really proud of that work. Um, those are probably the most, the most. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you say, I think if anyone can experience bringing a, um, a product mm-hmm. or therapy to market, that's, um, to a patient, it's uh, it's an incredible. I mean, it must be an incredible feeling, and it's an incredible achievement. Um, yeah, and getting to have that interaction with the regulatory agencies is also a great experience. You know, being involved yeah. in an inspection. I actually like inspections and audits, which people think that's a little bit strange. Um, but I really, but I really like those kind of activities. Why? Why do you like the audits? Because um, it kind of highlights uh, the work you've done, um, yeah. the systems you've built, the staff you have, and the staff you've trained, and you can really, you know, showcase those things yeah. uh, to auditors and inspectors. 
Yeah, and I suppose if if you've been following the right processes and mm-hmm. collaborating well and and making sure that everything is has you've been honest and open with the the regulators, mm-hmm. then you've got you've got nothing to hide, and it's a great chance to like you say sh- show off the work that you've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. Um, Peggy, what gets you up in the morning? Uh, hoping to cure cancer and help people in need. So I think all of us have known a family member or a friend who has battled cancer and not had a great result. Um, I know that someday we're going to have cures for a lot of these cancers and rare diseases. And that's what really excites me. Um, The hope that, you know, everyone can get these products and have an extended life or be cancer free. And that's what gets me up, the patients. Amazing. That's a very, very, um, um, well, it's an incredible way to end end the podcast um, and then mm-hmm. the show, Peggy. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for, for sharing all of those insights into the world of um, cell and gene therapy, but not only cell and gene therapy, the, the CDMO world, challenges that you faced and, and how you develop a team um to operate in in the gray area of of cell and gene therapy and um yeah like you say if, um to to be able to um work in a market or a, um an industry that has the potential to cure cancer um and cure other um uh life threatening illnesses and conditions is um is a huge thing to be a part of so um Good luck with it, with with all the work that you're doing, and and thanks again. Um, if people want to get hold of you, Peggy, what's the the best way to to do that? Uh, you can contact me. I'm on LinkedIn. I do a lot of reading on LinkedIn. I'm connected to several people on LinkedIn. Um, but my email is Peggy Owens one hundred one at kinsellbio.com. Great. All right. Well, look. Thanks. For, thanks very much for again, um, Peggy. Um, and um, we'll talk to you soon. It was an honor. Thanks, Peggy. Thank you for listening to today's show. I hope that you got value from it, whether you're starting your career in quality or if you're at the top of your field. Today's episode was brought to you by RX Group. I'm the founder of RX Group. We are a pharma and biotech recruitment organization focusing purely on quality assurance. We recruit consultants and senior level permanent quality professionals into the pharma and biotech industry. If we can support you, whether that be in a hiring capacity or if you yourself are looking for work, please get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Visit our LinkedIn page where you can subscribe to the podcast and visit our website www.rx-group.io to find out more about us. See you soon.